Amen. All right, guys. I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. I'm not going to go too long, um, but I'm excited for what God's going to um, just do in us right now. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about something that I believe robs the church of power. I believe that you, you guys heard me talk a couple weeks ago about what I believe is the source of power in the church. We need the radical love of Jesus to recover that prayer that I've been praying, right? That there would be potency back to the testimony of the church, right? And I think that in opposition, one of the number one things that robs potency is religion. And so tonight I want to talk about religion. You guys ready? We're going to talk about religion. And I just want to say in the forefront, we're all going to get offended. <laughs> Every one of us. I'm going to get offended. You're going to get offended. We're all going to get offended. But that's just what happens when the Holy Spirit moves, right? It offends our religion because religion robs us. It keeps us in this little box when there's so much more to know of God. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to know so much more of God tonight. I don't want to know Him in the same way I knew Him when I walked in this room. I want to know Him more. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit, come offend my mind. Come offend my religion. Come offend my theology. That's my prayer and worship was just, God, come how you want to. I don't want to go through another service. I don't want to just do things because for the sake of being a Christian, I want to know God. I want to know the power of God, right? And so that's what I want. That's what I want our lives to be. That's what I want tonight is to know the power of God. And so I think, um, yeah, my, my goal for tonight is that we would be able to identify biblically um, what, what religion really is. Because I feel like the truth is about religion is we use this word religion and it's kind of like a buzzword in Christianity. It's kind of like a trendy word in Christianity. Like, it's, not, it's not religion, bro. It's relationship, man. And it's like it sounds really stoic and it sounds really good. But if we're honest, most people don't fully even really know what that word actually means. And... You know, and it's not that it, it, I understand that we have some revelation of what that means. And I'm not saying it's bad to say that it's actually really good. And that's also very true. But I just think that there's so much more for us to unpack and understand about what that word actually means, because it really is an attack. It really is something biblical that the Bible backs up that shows us that tries to rob the Christian of power. And so it's real. And so my hope is that by the time we leave. We would know more than just that cute phrase to say in an evangelism conversation. And we would know and be able to identify different areas of our life where religion has come and stolen our power. Okay, So that's the goal. That's what we're headed for tonight is that we would get some tools in our belt to be able to identify religious forms in our life and then just kick them all out of me. Okay. So that's where we're going. Um, And and first, before we go any deeper, I just want to... Look at the life of Jesus because yeah. Jesus is the best teacher. Jesus is the best everything. Yeah. Jesus is the best. He's just amazing. Yeah. And we see that when Jesus taught his disciples, you know, he, he's teaching his disciples how to do ministry in, in the way he taught us to do ministry, is that we see that Jesus never really taught in formulas. Mm-hmm. He never really taught in, hey, this is how to blank. Like if you do this plus this, it equals revival, right? We see that Jesus never really teaches like that. He never teaches in these forms. Jesus never taught religion. Jesus never said, hey, um, guys, you should, um, on Sunday morning, get an LED wall, get a smoke machine, um, get, uh, make sure you wear, you know, holes in your pants. i got holes in my pants right now. Make sure you got forces on. Make sure you got all these things, and then the anointing will come. Jesus never taught like that. Right? Jesus never taught how to do religion, but what did he teach? He taught us heart postures. He taught us cultures, right? We see him consistently rebuking unbelief. We see him consistently rebuking distrust. 
We see him consistently rebuking worldliness, right? We see him addressing the heart more than we see him saying, okay, hey, Peter, um, last time you preached, um, I, I like what you were saying, but if you could get louder at that point right there and then a little quieter right here, then the anointing would come. Or when you deliver somebody, make sure you say this exact word. Because if you say this word, the demons just leave every single time. If you do it just like this, right? That's, that's not what we see him doing. But we see him teaching cultures. We see him teaching heart postures. And so that's what we want to look at is like, man, how do we get our hearts in that place? Not necessarily how do we do, you know, this formula that makes the power of God unleash in our life. But it's how do we mold our hearts? How do we mold our hearts to be operating in power? And so um, this is what Jesus taught us. So Jesus never taught religion. So we're not going to teach religion. (laughs) So but but it's, it's kind of funny, though, because. I don't know about you guys. Maybe this is just me. But I, I just want to kind of poke fun a little bit at how obvious the spirit of religion is on the American church. I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever heard somebody who grew up in the church's testimony, which is me, so I'm making fun of myself here. But pretty much every single person who grew up in the church's testimony is something like this. I grew up in the church. Um, I knew how to do and say the right things. I, I went to youth group. I, I played drums in the band. I was doing all these things. And, but it wasn't until I was 17, 18, 19, 16, where I actually had an encounter with God or actually started a relationship with Jesus. And so why is it that everyone who grew up in the church waits until they're 17 to encounter Jesus and to have a relationship with Jesus? And, and I don't think that that's necessarily, I'm not saying that, I don't think that's necessarily any pastor or parents fault what i'm just trying to show you is look at what the norm is in the in the body of christ it's religion that you grow up and you just if you go through the system in the american church you will grow up in religion right like and so that that's so sad to me so i'm saying that just to expose it a little bit because it's so real right and i'm not saying that again to make fun of it that was that was my story that was my story but my question is what if we saw something different what if, what if when I was nine years old, I saw somebody heal? What if when I was, um, you know, when I had a big decision to make, all I saw around me was people that were seeking God. We need God's voice. We need God's voice. They, they cry out for God and they're like praying for God for something, right? What if when I was a kid, all I, I kept seeing addicts get saved around me. It was just like every time there was an addict, he would get saved. And my church would take him in and disciple him. What if, what if this was the norm, right? What if we saw healings normally? What if my pastor flopped his five-point sermon so that we could stay in the glory of God and worship even just one time? What? I never saw any of that. What, just what if I had experienced the real power of God? I wonder if my testimony and the testimony of everybody else's would be that same. I grew up in the church. I went through the motions. And it took me a long time. And then when I was 17, I finally gave him everything. What if I saw the power on display when I was seven? Come on. I, I, yes. And so my question is like, man, guys, do you believe this is available? Because I actually believe it is. Yes. Come on. I actually believe that's the inheritance of the body of Christ. That's what Go. Jesus paid for. But it takes us individually looking at our lives, evaluating our lives, saying, what are these little ways that my life is falling into religion? And how do I kick those out? Because those little things eventually turn into a prayerless life. 
Those little things turn into, hey, let's just go through the service today, right? Let's do two hype songs. Let's do a, um, a you know, a sermon after that, and then we'll close out, and we'll do our program, and it'll be great. And, you know, maybe if we have more likes next time, maybe more people will like it more, right? That's how we, how we get away from that is these little moments of, like, okay, how am I identifying religion? You know, what are these areas of my life that are powerless, and how do I get them out? And so I want to make it practical. I want to talk about little things because it, it, that's a massive problem. I don't know if you guys you noticed what I just said was a massive problem that every single kid who grows up in the church primarily, praise God, first of all, if you had an amazing upbringing in the body of Christ. I know people who have. I know people who've known the Lord from a young age. But every one of them that I knew, they saw the power of God put on display when they were young. Sure. And what, they didn't see religion. One of my, <coughs> one of my <laughs> I don't know what to call him, a dad hero. He's like a, a dad that I just look up to. His kids are just absolute legends. And I was like, how did you raise this 13-year-old revivalist, like, what, what did you do? And, and I love what he said. He said, Brennan, if they turn away or if they deny religion, that's on me. If they deny Jesus, that's on them. Wow. I was like, man, that's good. So it's like, it's, you know, he's like, man, I, I want to cultivate an atmosphere of the real power of God, right? The, the real presence of Jesus. And if they turn from away from that, you know, I... That's my job as a parent is to create that space for them. But if they turn away from religion, man, that's on me. So I want to do everything I can to get them away from the just destructive spirit of religion. And so, whew, kind of going all over the place here. Love you guys. Okay. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Bible and we're going to see what is religion actually. Um, I think the Bible talks about it. And so, first of all, before I go any deeper, I just want to say um, where I'm going to be pulling from a teaching actually from Brian Brent. Um, Brian Brent, an absolute hero of the faith, passed away about a year ago. Um, he was the leader of the circuit riders. He changed my life in so many ways, and he wrote this manual called Freedom, the Freedom Manual. And I'm going to be pulling from Freedom 2, which is a manual. So if you don't have this manual, I'm just pulling a plug on it right, real quick. You need to get these manuals because they will change your life. And the reason why I'm preaching on this right now is because this chapter alone, a year and a half ago, changed my life. And I realized all these different ways. I, I had religion articulated. I was just like everybody else, where it's like, I used it in the evangelism conversation. I said the word religion. Again, man, it's not religion, it's relationship. But when you wanted me to go deeper on that, I actually couldn't really go much farther than that. And so I was like, reading this chapter, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never heard anybody articulate it like this. This makes sense, and it's in the Bible. And so I'm just basically going to pull some of Brian's teachings, and we're all going to believe from it. Sound good? Yeah. Here we go. So we're going to go deep in the Bible. So I'm going to go to a bunch of different places, but the first place I'm going to start to identify religion is in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 5. I'm just going to read it. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and then having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. So what is religion? A form of godliness denying its power. That's a simple definition of what is religion. It, it looks like, it talks like, it walks like, it seems like godliness, but it actually has no power to it at all. And we see in this list 
how much God hates religion. He, he puts it in this list of things that will, you know, these horrible things that will mark the end of the day, the end of the age, right? Like proud, abusive, disobedient, unholy, ungrateful, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, brutal, treacherous, rash. And in that same list, God puts religion. So I hope that that, that kind of stirs something in you, but God takes it seriously. Like God really doesn't want his people to be in religion. It really is a sign of something bad. And so that's what I'm going to talk about religion as, as forms of godliness denying its power. And so in order to do that, um, I'm, going to go, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about some principles that I think help us identify them. And these are straight from Brian. They're so, so good. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go biblically. I'm going to read the principle, and then we're going to go where it, where it kind of talks about it in the Bible. And then we're going to begin to identify where are these forms in my life of godliness. They look like godliness, they talk like godliness, but actually they have no power to them. So, first principle is this, and if you have notes, I really do want you to write these down. They're really, really good. First principle is a religious principle, even God-ordained, becomes merely a powerless form when it is divorced from the state of our heart towards God. I'm going to read that one more time. A religious principle, even God-ordained, becomes merely a powerless form when it's divorced from the state of our heart towards God. So basically, what we're saying here is, any spiritual action that you do towards the Lord divorced from love is religion. And what I I want to do is, instead of just giving you all these different ways that we can identify them. I'm going to do that in a second. I first want to just go again to the Bible and see what the Bible says about it. I don't want to preach anything that the Bible's not preaching. And, and I thought at first, honestly, I read this at first and I was like, God, are you serious? Like, it's actually possible for me to do Sunday night and preach and worship and have you not like it? Like, these, these things seem so good. They seem so godly. They seem so holy. Like, is it actually possible for you to not like those things? Are you serious? You don't like Sunday morning? What? And I was like, God, is that, are you serious? And then he showed me Isaiah 1. Mm. It's about to get dangerous. You guys ready? Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1, verse 11 through 15. Okay, background of the story. Israel, they're bringing sacrifices to God. They're bringing their Sunday morning services. They're bringing their Sunday night worship songs. They're bringing their preaching sermons. They're bringing their Bible reading times. They're bringing all their sacrifices before the Lord. But their hearts are not connected to what they're doing. They're just kind of aimlessly saying these words. Um, It's kind of like a child, you know, basically who gets in trouble. And then he just says, I'm sorry, just so that his dad will be happy. But everyone knows that the dad wants so much more than just, and I'm sorry, right? It's not about what he says. It's about the condition of his child's heart. And so that's what these kids, that's what they're doing in Israel right now, is their hearts are not connected to these sacrifices. And they're bringing sacrifices before him. So they're bringing sacrifices before God. And this is what he says. You guys ready? I am sick of your sacrifices, says the Lord. Don't bring me any more burnt offerings. I don't want the fat from your rams and your animals. I don't want to see the blood from your offerings of bulls and rams and goats. Why do you keep parading through my courts with your worthless sacrifices? The incense you bring me is a stench to my nostrils. (laughs) New celebrations of, of the new moon in the Sabbath day and your special days for fasting... Even your most special meetings are all sinful and false. I want nothing to do with them. I hate your evil festivals and sacrifices. I can't stand them. From now on, when you lift your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look. Even though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. 
Your hands are covered with the blood of your innocent victims. Wow. It's kind of intense, right? But it's true. It's crazy that we could bring something that seems so godly from the outside that actually God says, I hate that. That's meaningless. That's detestable. Get that away from me. You did nothing. You know that it is possible for us to come in on Sunday night and sing these songs and to have you walk away actually with no connection to God. Yeah. It's very possible. Yeah. It's like yeah. you just went through the motions. You just religiously brought me sacrifices. I didn't want the act. I wanted your heart, right? That's all throughout the Bible. So basically, what I'm saying, what I'm bringing us into awareness is that it's very possible for us to be doing good Christian things and not please God. It's very possible for us to go to services, sing worship songs, read your Bible, journal, give your money, give your time, give your resources, serve. Again, these are all good things, and they should be tools to help you grow in your relationship with God. But the truth is, without being careful, these things can become powerless religious forms that convince us that we're growing with God, when in reality, we're moving like a snail. And without being careful, we can get a lot of tasks done. And no intimacy built. No power released. No real connection built. Right? The moment that our Bible reading, our prayer time, and our journal coming to Sunday night, the moment that it becomes merely a box we are checking is the moment that it becomes powerless. The moment I engage my heart with His, though, is the moment where power becomes present. And so when I pray, Instead of praying to check the thing off, I want to do my good Christian thing and then pray. When I pray out of love for God and desire to connect with him and love for the person I'm praying for, then power is present. When I read my Bible and I'm not reading my Bible just to check it off my list to do the verse of the day or whatever. Or if I'm not measuring success based off how much I get done, but rather if I get to know him and if my heart engages with him, then I'm operating in real power. And I actually got somewhere with God, right? And so what, what am I saying? In summary, any action devoid of heart connection is just a religious form. It looks cool, but it has no power. You didn't actually get anywhere with God. So what are we after? We're after connecting with God's heart. And so I think I heard all that and I was like, man, that's super intense. Um, and I was like, man, if that's possible, that I could do something looks like godliness, but God is actually saying that's detestable to me. That's kind of freaky. And I was like, how do you balance not, you know, not being in a consistent place of worry about if my heart is connected to the Lord or not? And then, you know, me trying to connect with God then becomes religious. It's like, oh, man, I'm just trying to do all the right things to make sure that my heart is actually in connection. And then that can even become religious. And we get all worried the whole time. We're striving. Like, how do you find the balance of that? Right. That might be your question right now. And my question, my answer is one word. Honesty. Be honest with God. I promise you, the doorway to a powerful relationship with Jesus is honesty. I was in a very, I was in a spot where I, I just preached um, <laughs> at a gathering, um, and it was a massive gathering. It was probably one of the most important gatherings in my life. I was in the room with tons of lost people, and I had an opportunity to share the gospel. And the truth is, guys, I walked up there in tons of religious forms. I walked up there dry. I walked up there burnt out. I walked up there with no heart connection to God. And I went up there and I preached the worst sermon of my life. And I was like, so after that, I was like, what just happened? I remember being in the car with one of my good friends. 
And I was just like, how do I never let this happen again? I never, ever want to do something for God out of obligation, especially something to that caliber. How do I never let this happen again? How do I never let my heart get out of this or stay in this place of connection? How do I stay in that place? And he said, Brennan, you need to go be honest with God. And I went, and that night I was honest with Jesus. I said, God, if I'm honest, I didn't feel you. I went up there tonight in religion. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And in 10 seconds, I got deeper with God than I had been in two months. And so what I'm saying is that if you're wrestling with this, like, oh, man. I, I don't want to get in, in religion. Or how do I, you know, find that balance of I'm, I'm trying to stay connected to him, but, but I'm not, but I'm not feeling it. Tell him you're not feeling it. Yeah. Tell him, I, God, I don't feel like being with you right now. Will you help me? And every time I've said, God, I don't feel like being with you. I don't feel connected with you. He has helped me identify heart postures that are keeping me in that place. Yeah. Unbelief, criticism, yeah. um, skepticism, yeah, bitterness. Uh, he'll just identify this and go, oh, God, that makes so much sense. Like, <laughs> Alright, gotta repent and I get it out. And then instantly connection with God. And I could have wasted two hours pretending like I was fine. Pretending like everything was good. Going through the motions to check it. But one moment of honesty set me up for a real encounter. And so that's what I'm saying tonight. Is ten seconds of honesty with God will take you farther than ten years of religiosity. I promise. I promise. And so maybe even (laughs) on that note... At least for me, this is where I went. I was like, okay, I get all that. But in the context of being obedient to God, then should I only be obedient to God when I feel it? Should I only preach the gospel when I feel like preaching the gospel? And when I have that connection with you, God? And this is what the Lord kind of spoke to me last night. He basically said, the same way I love Kylie by doing the dishes is the same way I love the Lord by preaching the gospel. Love is a choice, right? And so the question you should be asking yourself is not like, um, okay, am I feeling it enough to go preach the gospel? The question you should be asking yourself to identify is it a religious form or not is something more like this. Am I doing this so that he will love me? Or am I doing this because I love him? That's kind of where the identification of religion is, right? It's like, if I, if I do the dishes so that Kylie will love me, I'm operating out of a powerless religious form. But if I do the dishes because I love Kylie, even if I don't feel like it, I still should do it, right? So that's the difference there. It's not about feeling it all the time. Yeah. It's about love. Yeah. That's what this is about. That's how you break religion is with genuine, authentic, powerful love. Yeah. Here we go. Number two. I'm getting fired up. Let's do this, guys. Number two. <laughs> Write this one down, too. We operate in, religious, in a religious form. When we place more confidence or find more comfort in a formula than we do the person of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that one more time. I know these are long, but I'm telling you, when you look back on this and you remember these phrases, it will help you. It will help you. We operate in a religious form when we place more confidence or find more comfort in a formula than we do the person of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's good. So, example. Acts 19, verse 11, okay? Um, I feel like maybe I'm going to preface it a little bit. Basically, two stories here. There's the sons of Sceva, these Jewish dudes, and then there's Paul. Paul is walking in a crazy measure of authority. 
Paul's handkerchiefs are healing and delivering people. And then these seven sons of Sceva find out about Paul and the power that he has. And they're like, all right, we got to do what he's doing. And then they try. And then they have a different story than what Paul did. So, ready? Here we go. Acts 19, verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched or that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illness was cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews went over or went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demonly possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Sons of Sceva, a Jewish, a Jewish chief priest were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them, them all. He gave them a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Wow. Crazy story. Right? Like I said, one guy, Paul's got all his authority, his handkerchiefs are healing people. And then these sons of Sceva, who biblically, it had never said anything about their relationship with God. It doesn't say that they were walking in power. It doesn't say that they were believing in Jesus. It doesn't say that they were Christians, right? These guys just see that Paul has power. They see that what he's doing is working, and so they're trying to replicate his formula. They go, hey, Paul's doing it. we got to do it like this, and then we'll go and do it, and then we're going to get all this power. It's going to be awesome. So that's the scene. That's what happens here, right? And then what happens? It would be like this. I just want to give you an example, a more practical example. It would be like this. It'd be like me. I I, I saw Todd White heal people. On YouTube. I used to. I love Todd White. I love watching Todd White go and preach the gospel and see you know tons of demons casted out and seeing people get healed and seeing people get saved as well. And so it'd be like me watching a Todd White video, watching the way he's doing, studying his studying his mannerisms. Okay, Todd put his arm on the right shoulder, and then he said, "It's your will. Be healed right now." He said it like that in that weird voice. I did. He did say it like that. I don't know why that happened, but he does that. And so what I do is I watch that video and then I go to the next person that I want to see healed and I just go, right shoulder. He said, right shoulder, put it there. And then this is actually what it'd be like. It's even more fun. He says, I would say, hey, in the name of Jesus, who Todd White preaches, come out. And that demon would say, Todd, I know. Jesus, I know, but who the heck are you, man? Right? Because we can't just copy a formula and expect power. Power doesn't flow from a formula. Power flows from the heart. And so the demon knew that it was not being confronted by true authority, but rather a religious form. That's why the demon was like, not only am I not going to be casted out, I'm going to attack you. That's what happened in the sense of scheme because they had no authority. All they were doing was following a formula that they saw. And the demon knew that it wasn't being confronted with any true authority. It's like, dude, this is just religious formula. This is easy for me. I'm going to come attack you now. You don't got any power, bro. Paul, though, I'm scared of him. Keep him away from me. (laughs) Right? And so I wonder, I wonder if this is correlated to why we don't see greater moves of God um, we see greater moves of God's power in and through his church. Is it because there's so many going through religious motions, riding off of church's authority or a different leader's authority that when we confront demons, they say, who are you? Is that, is that why we, we, we is it, I, unfortunately, like, you know, I, I've fallen into this totally. And maybe some of you guys have fallen into this. It's like, like, oh, well, every hard guy is like, they do it this way. They say it this way. They, they have mustaches. 
They have all these external. Like, okay, if I do those things, then I'll see somebody saved. If I talk like them, if I walk like them, if I if I try to get the thing that they have, then maybe I'll see somebody saved. And the demons are just saying like. Dude, doesn't care what you, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you do. I'm not going to, there's no authority in that. It's, where's your, where's your heart, right? That's what's going to make the demons leave. And so I'm just like, looking at the body of Christ, I'm just like, man, I wonder if the reason why we haven't seen power just unleashed is because we're just trying to copy all these formulas and not actually get it for ourselves, right? And so, um, yeah, a religious Christian won't do any damage. Religious Christians got no power. But a Holy Spirit, desperate, love-infused disciple, man, they're taking down the kingdom of darkness. They're kicking out demons left and right. That's what's going to happen when we get desperate for the Holy Spirit, when we have our own connection with God, when we have our own authority, when our hearts are actually connected with God, when we cast out those demons, they will leave in Jesus' name, right? And so I don't want to just go through the motions. That's what they were doing. They were going through motions. It can be so easy to go through motions in in Christian culture. We don't want to be ones who go through emotions, right? They place their confidence in Paul's methods instead of the power of Jesus. That's, that's what they did. And some of you, you know, have maybe done this too, where we placed our confidence in the method of a church formula or every heart or something like that. And we just know that this is not going to get us anywhere. He's not looking for the external, right? The external means nothing without the internal. And so I just want us to evaluate our own lives and our own systems and our own traditions in our life and ask ourselves, where are we putting confidence in tradition, systems, and formulas? Are there, have we been stuck in the same pattern of our prayer life the last four years? Prayed the exact same way every single day, doing the same thing. Never asking God if there's something more that he wants me to do. I just kind of go through the motions and do my prayer time like that and check, right? Am I giving... 10% and that's it. I will never budge because that's my that's my thing. I, 10%, I did it, I signed the check. I don't even really know where it's going. I don't even really know what it's doing. I don't really care. I just do it for the, the religious thing to check, right? No. Well, where are these forms in our life? Our giving, our Bible time, our, our, our prayer life, right? Where, where is it that, has it looked the exact same the last 10 years? When's the last time you got wrecked by yourself alone in worship? When's the last time when nobody was around? You and God. Headphones in, upper room on, glory on your knees crying, right? When's the last time? If that is foreign, if everything I just described is foreign, maybe there's some religious forms in your life that we got to kick out, all right? For me, one of the areas that I realized where I had placed way too much confidence in a formula or tradition was my own logic. Let me explain that. Without a vibrant culture of prayer, the system you can start to put your confidence in above the Lord is your own logic, which is dangerous because Romans says that the mind governed by um, flesh leads to death. And so areas of my life that could have been, you know, Holy Spirit anointed, powerful, power breaking out. Instead of that being my inheritance of those areas of my life, it's been Brendan Joseph logic. It's been Brendan, what do you think? What decisions do you want to make? The prayerlessness of my life has, has, has like held me in this place of religiosity that's just like going through motions. I have no power. My thoughts have no power. I'm, the Bible actually says that my thoughts and my flesh lead to death. So I'm leading this life to death that's doing nothing. No power, right? Yeah. 
And so I'm just like, man, God, would you deliver me from my confidence in my own logic, my trust in my own formulas, right? I trust myself so way, way, way too much when I need a desperate life of prayer if I want to be living in power. And so if prayer, if maybe you resonate with something that I'm saying about prayer, you're like, man, I just make decisions about everything in my own logic. I would say that that's a religious form. You placed your formula or you place your trust in the form of your mind and the traditions of the way you think instead of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm telling you that I'm repenting of it. I want to get free of it as well. But maybe there's other areas of your life where God is speaking to you of like, this is an area where I'm kind of just letting life happen to me. I'm kind of just coasting where I'm very numb in that area. And like I said, that for me was in my prayer life. But I, I don't want to put limits on the Holy Spirit. I feel like there might be some areas of your life that God is identifying right now. That area of my life is super numb. That area of my life is super unsubmitted to the Holy Spirit. That part of my life is very natural. It's very lacking of the supernatural power of God. And I would, I would ask you, I believe that those, that look at those areas of your life and ask why. Why is that? And I think God will begin to uproot some heart posture things that will begin to establish and counter and power into those areas of your life. So... God wants, he wants to do it. He wants to pour out power. He doesn't want us to be wasting our life living for meaningless things of the American dream, right? It's, it's not going to matter. He wants the power. He wants his power being released into the earth. So number three, here we go. When we seek a formula or a quick solution in order to advance the kingdom rather than the road of genuine repentance and humble obedience. We are operating in a religious form. Number three, I'm going to read it again. When we seek a formula or a quick solution in order to advance the kingdom rather than the road of genuine repentance and humble obedience, we are operating in a religious form. We're going to talk about Simon the Sorcerer for this one. Um, Acts 8, 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands of the apostles, or on the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered their money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in the ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. And hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And so Simon thought he could have a quick fix to the power of God, right? Honestly, Simon was, he was genuine. Like this dude just got saved. He was like, you know, he was a sorcerer. He was like witchcraft dude. And then boom, he gets saved. And he sees the other power. He's like, I want it, I want it, I want it. And so it was genuine. Like he genuinely, it wasn't like this super evil guy. That's not necessarily the... The, the picture here, it's a, it's a guy that's like, sees the power of God, he's like, man, I want it. And so often we remove ourselves from this story because we, we make it about the money. We're like, well, he was asking for money. He's saying he's trying to buy God's power. I would never do that. I would never try to buy God's power. And that might be true, but the issue wasn't the money. The issue we see that Peter confronts is not the money. He confronts his heart. He says that his heart was in bondage to bitterness and sin. And that's something we can all relate with, wanting the power of God, yet our hearts are full of sin. It doesn't, and he's saying, wait, no, 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 you don't just get to have the power, right? You can't care about ministry more than you care about your heart before God. 
That's what he's saying. And so what am I saying is that we operate in a religious form when we love ministry more than we love God. The person that is unconcerned with the condition of their heart or the ministry, as long as they see results happen, is somebody bound by religion. Or or sometimes they'll even do this. Sometimes they'll justify themselves by the fruit that they see. (laughs) They'll be like, well, I, I might be full of unbelief and pride and anger and sexual perversion, but did you see what God did with me when I preached that one time? Like, he saw I, all this stuff happen, so it's okay, right? It evens out, right? No! God doesn't care how good a preacher you are if you can't get right with him. Yeah. He doesn't care how good a singer you are. If your heart is not right before him, he cares so much more about you and him and your hearts being right than he does about the external. And so that's what I'm saying here, right? It's that sometimes we obsess with looking godly rather than actually being godly. And if that is us, if we obsess with looking godly more than genuinely being godly, we are in religion. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I see this manifest in weird ways. (laughs) You see... I don't know about, I don't know y'all ever seen somebody like this. If, if you're this person, it's okay. Just stay quiet at this moment. But I don't know if you've ever met that person that's just like got a Bible verse for everything. It's just like, they're just making sure that they, you're just talking about, I don't know, cheese. And they're just like, you know, thus the Lord says in Isaiah 32 that cheese is the, I, I don't know. Or like, you talk about like, you're just talking about your day. Like, I'm having a good day. Like, dude, how's your day going? Oh, good, man. The Lord said in Isaiah 1 that you did it. They're just like throwing Bible verses on everything, like just to show me that they know the Bible. And I'm just like, sweet, man. I just asked, like, how your dog is doing. But thank you. I really needed to know that Bible verse right now about your dog. Like, (laughs) maybe you guys haven't experienced people like that. But I've experienced people like that, right? Or, you know, they're always, always talking about their ministry. Again, you just ask them about their dog and they're just like, well, dude, we actually just had the cray come to our, uh, to our, to our all-nighter. And it was amazing. And we saw, like, all these kids eating pizza and having whatever, man. <laughs> and then you just say, oh, no, man, I asked you how your family was. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I mean, we saw 20 people saved. And like, like, oh, all right, man, cool. And they're just constantly talking about the ministry and making sure that I know that they're an awesome minister. And I'm just like... All right, man. Um, awesome. Or, or maybe they're the person that exaggerates testimonies. Ooh. Hey. I, I, I bet, man. It's like, oh, man, he got... This guy, like, you know, said... I'm just making fun of us. We're all evangelists here. Guy's like, ah, I, I love Jesus. Yeah, I'll give my life to him today. But in reality, you, you talk to him and you know that that was like... He already gave his life to Jesus. like, And that that was not actually a salvation encounter moment. But you go back to the crew and you say, I saw salvation, everybody, look at me, come on! Hey, hey, hey man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just saying, are we doing things that make us look godly when inwardly, you know, if if that is something that is at the forefront of our mind, oh, how can I make sure everybody thinks that I look good, look godly, we are in religion. Who cares what you look like? God only matters what God thinks about you. And he doesn't care what you look like. He cares about what's in here. Yeah. Woo! There was more examples I could have given on that, but I decided to stop. Uh, <laughs> and so my question, one more. Really, 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 really. Uh, 
Okay, this was funny. This is funny. I, 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 I don't know if you've ever done this. You'll, you'll see that person, man, and they're just waiting. They're just waiting for their moment to pray in front of everybody. Hey! And then when you give them the mic, and you're holding the mic because it's one of those prayer sets when you're like, you can't give over the mic. And they just go, Thee thou God, I bless your holy name, Thee almighty make. And they just, every pretty word they can think of, and go for like 20 minutes, and just like, Dude, did you read Matthew 6? Like, I don't know. Hey! Um, or maybe the guy is fasting, and you, every time he fasts, everybody knows that he's fasting. Yeah, yeah, one more, one more. Hey, come on, man. Come on. I, I don't know if you guys have been that way. I've been around people. It's like anytime they fast, I'm made aware. I barely know them, but I'm made aware for sure. <laughs> okay. The point is, who cares about the external? God cares about the internal. Got it? Let's go, guys. So we cannot be more concerned with fruit than we are the conditions of our heart before him. He doesn't care what you've done for him if you're not right before him. Ask the guys in Matthew 7 what they think about that. When they went up to him and they said, Lord, but I prophesied in your name. Lord, we, we cast out demons in your name, though. Lord, but we, but we did all these awesome things. We had Lecrae at the, at the all-nighter. <laughs> and then what does he say? He says, depart from me. I never knew you. None of that matters. None of it matters. None of it matters. What matters is your heart. What matters is your heart. So I'm getting ready to wrap up here. I got one more. Um, the fourth principle is when you pursue the full power of the gospel, it offends the mind and keeps you in ever-increasing wonder and growth. When you pursue the full power of the gospel, it offends the mind and keeps you in an ever-increasing growth and wonder. The, the, the Pharisees constantly were getting mad at Jesus for the way he would do things. It's like, Man, you're, you're not going to make them wash their hands? Are you serious? Or, that, is that really allowed? you actually going to heal on the Sabbath? What the heck, man? Or, getting mad about divorce? Or getting mad about the sinful woman that pours out the alabaster jar? Right? They constantly are seeing Jesus wrongly. They're constantly not seeing eye to eye. And Jesus is constantly rebuking these guys, saying, yeah. Don't get it, man. You don't get it. Like, throw off your theology. Throw off the way you think. Throw that off for a second. Because I'm God, and I probably know a little bit better. He doesn't say it like that. But that's what, that's what I want to say sometimes. But I've been that Pharisee so many times in my life where I'm like, okay, no. I know what God can do. I'm going to make my little box and put God in it and say, anything that is outside of this box that makes me uncomfortable, I'm going to run away from it. Yeah. And that's what the Pharisees did. As they said, I don't like what he's saying. I'm going to put him in this box. And I'm going to run away from anything outside of this box. I don't care if, if people are getting saved because of it. I can't be from God. In fact, I'm going to make a Heresy Hunters video about it on YouTube. And then just, <laughs> and just start spending hours of my day every day trying to do everything I can to find every way I can to make sure that everybody knows that this guy is wrong and I'm right. Man, who's got time for that? Anyone just watches YouTube and just like, bro, like, you got to have something better to do with your day than just confront this guy and have all your opinions. I don't really care about your opinions toward him, but somehow I'm up here watching the video, so maybe I got a problem. I don't know. <laughs> we can get the band to start coming back up. But basically, what I'm saying is 
We got to break off this Pharisee mindset. The Pharisee mindset as a body of Christ. The Pharisee box that tells Jesus what he can and what he can't do. The, the Pharisees were constantly corrected for their false and shallow ways they had seen Jesus. But on the other side, guys, on the other side of an offended mind is deeper encounter. And so my, my, my challenge for us tonight is do you want the fullness? Because we are a movement that pursues the fullness. And so what does that mean? That means that if the way that Jesus comes in these you know, 10, 15, however long we go in here worship. If it offends the way that I thought we were going to go tonight, we don't care. We say, Jesus, we want you. We were not here for a service. We're not here to sing songs. We want the power of God. If he shows up and every single one of us gets laid out on the ground uncontrollably, I want to be one that says, okay, sweet God. I'm not going to come up on the mic and say, hey, guys, this is not from the Lord. I'm going to need every one of you to get up and leave right now so that we can quench the Holy Spirit. No. I don't understand all the ways that God moves. I don't understand why sometimes he heals people in an instant. And sometimes it takes years. And sometimes it doesn't happen in our lifetime. I don't understand why sometimes people fall down under the glory of God. Never happened to me, but it's happened to my friends. And I totally trust them that they had a real encounter with God. I don't, I don't totally understand all the things of God. But as a movement, we can't be ones that say, I want this part of God, but not this part of God. That's not allowed here. That's not what, that's not what we're here for. We say, God, give me all of you. Give me all of you. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes me. I want all of you. I want all of you, Jesus. And so that's where, you know, Jesus, he ends up absolutely rebuking the Pharisees time and time and time again, right? And I don't want to be one who's rebuked by Jesus because of my unbelief or because of the way that I boxed him in. And I want to be one who wants the fullness. We want him to come however he wants to. And so what I want to do is I talked about a lot of different things tonight. I talked about a lot of different things. I talked about having our hearts divorced from genuine connection with God. I talked about falling into formulas and just kind of going with the motions. I talked about putting our confidence in tradition and systems and religion over God. I talked about boxing God in to the way that we want to make him be. And what I want to do is just provoke you with a couple questions tonight to end. And ask yourself. What are areas of my life where we've had forms of godliness that deny his power? Are there areas in my life where I've, I've accepted a looks like, seems like godliness, but yet there's actually no power there? Whether it's your prayer life, whether it's your Bible reading time, whether it's your you know relationship that you have you know with your friends or with your co-workers. Like, are there areas where I've just kind of been super numb and coasted? And kind of just let life happen to me instead of bringing the power of God to it. Are there areas in your life where your heart has grown numb or you've been independent of the Holy Spirit? Where where in your life have you been independent of the Holy Spirit? That's a good indicator of where there's religion. And like I told you, this is stuff that we're all working on. This is stuff that... I believe we have to wage war on, not just tonight, but the rest of our life. That's why I wanted you to take these notes. That's why I wanted you to write things down and have, you know, maybe a little bit more scholarly language there. Was because I believe that we're signing up tonight for a lifetime of waging war on religion. And that's when we're going to see 
a seven-year-old grow up in the church and they will experience the power of God. They will experience miracles as normal. They will experience holiness as a normal testimony of their family and of their church, right? That will be normal. When? When the body of Christ signs up to wage war on little areas of religion every day of their life. And so what I want to do, in love, I just want everybody to stand up. Because God is doing this because he loves us. I know I'm talking intensely, I'm preaching loudly, and then maybe it's coming across that that's not the case, and I'm sorry if so. But Jesus is saying, daughter, son, I love you. I have an invitation for you to replace boring, numb, dry, dead religious forms with the all-consuming fire and power of God. You might have thought that area of your life was mundane, but that was your mind talking. That was not the Holy Spirit talking. I felt tonight that there was somebody that was struggling with their calling and they were in their workplace wondering, is this actually what God has for me? And then I felt like the Lord said, when they begin to realize and break up with the religious forms that have been present in their workplace and begin to usher in the power of God, they will see why they were called there. And so if if that's resonating with you, I just encourage you and challenge you to break up with areas of your life where that job has just been like, oh, I just do it just because. I just do it because it's paying the bills right now. What if God has a supernatural storyline for it? If you would let him break off religion in that area of your life. And then every one of us, man, maybe maybe we're in ministry, maybe we're in different facets, and we're getting caught up in this religion, go through the motions. I've been to so many worship services. I've done so many Christian things. And I've gotten so numb to the glory and the power and the presence of God. And I just want you to ask the Lord for a sensitivity to his Holy Spirit. A sensitivity to his Holy Spirit. God, would you keep our hearts tender? Tenderize our hearts right now, Jesus. Tenderize our hearts, oh Jesus. I want my heart to be tender before you. Would you make our hearts tender before you, God? We just ask you to reveal any area of our life areas of our life that are forms of godliness denying your power and if you want prayer at any point you want you know anyone from our team or me to just come and pray i would love to pray for anybody so you can just honestly just come to the front and get on your knees if that's you and i'll just come around and any anyone else from our team that feels to pray too can totally do that Um, but i want to break off religion tonight so god would you break it off of us right now in jesus name